If you are a believer who goes to church here, chances are you probably believe the Bible, and you probably believe from the Bible that you would see that the church is important. And I just want to urge you to act on the importance of your priorities, of putting the church pretty high up on your list of things to invest your life in. And one of the ways we do that is through something called church membership. And if you're not uh, becoming a part and joining this church, make, it, make some church the place where you land and become a member. And you say, well, where is membership commanded in the Bible? Well, it, as it's been said around here a lot, it's not necessary that it's commanded in the Bible, but that it enables us to carry out the commands of the Bible. It puts you in accountability. It puts you under oversight of the, the leadership of the church. And today we're going to have a membership meeting after the second service. You have a flyer in your bulletin if you want to look at that. There's a quote on here by Mark Dever, and he says, Church membership means being incorporated in practical ways into the body of Christ. It means traveling together as aliens and strangers in the world as we head to our heavenly home. doesn't matter how long you've been here. doesn't matter how long you're going to be here. We would encourage you strongly to join the church. We have many people here here just for a year. They join the church and become un- under accountability and take part in the, the growing of our church spiritually and physically. And if you're a student, we have many students who have joined the church. So I just want to encourage you to make it a priority. Uh, I know you have a lot of commitments. Make this a high priority to just jump in. Um, we have that class today after the second service. Go get, you know, we have, we'll provide lunch for you. And I know some of you think you've got to study. You know what? You can study as soon as the service ends, until the membership class starts, if you really need to study a lot. That gives you a couple hours. And then come to the class that starts probably around 12.45-1 in the church offices. All right? Okay, we're done with that. I'm going to ask this a question to you as we get going today. Can you imagine being so passionate about something, so excited about something, so all into something, that it was your ambition to see it spread throughout the whole world. I mean, something that you were pumped about, and you just wanted to have a global expansion. About 10 months ago, my wife and I had the privilege of speaking with a woman who had such global passion. What she was amped about, she wanted to see it spread throughout the globe. This woman that we had a chance to speak with for a long time was uh, and is the first female employee of Facebook. And as my wife and I were sitting down with her, and if you ever sat down with my wife and I, look out. We, we will bombard you with questions. We like to ask questions. And, and we were asking her tons of questions about her job and her ambitions and her passions. And we, we hesitantly told her that we were not on Facebook, <laughs> nor did we intend to be on Facebook. But she was gracious with us, and she was patient with us, and she told us how it was her goal. Like, it was like her overarching goal, like kind of like she was in charge of it to make sure that soon Facebook would hit a, a billion users around the world. That's, that was her passion. And as we were interacting with her, we told her that we were overseas and we were in different places where you would think people wouldn't even have computers or connections, and they were connecting on Facebook. And that has been multiplied around the globe. And can you imagine, she was on the ground floor, first female employee at Facebook. And this is her passion. And to see it spread around the world must be so awesome and exciting for her. 
And, and many of you have your own thing, your own thing that you're passionate about. For those of you who, who are doctors or you're into medical research, you want your research, you would love it to, to just spread around to different markets of the world and impact people. And for those of you who are artists and musicians, you love to share your gift with different cultures. And those of you who are in the business world, you love to create some business for the common good that would impact so many different economies. So no matter matter what your your gifting are and your passion are, as we unite together as Christians, we all should have one unifying, overriding passion. And it is this. As we unite as Christians, our, our one passion is to leverage our lives to see that more and more people from all over the world become committed to Jesus Christ. No matter matter what else you got going on in your gifting and calling, as we unite as Christians, according to the Bible, our overriding passion should be to see disciples made globally. Jesus praised around the world, locally and globally, in what is known as the Great Commission. No matter what else you have going on, this is what we unite on. We want to see disciples made. And the fame of Jesus spread. And worship come to him from more and more people. And so as we unite around this common mission and common passion, we are going to see it come alive in the Bible this morning as we finish the book of Matthew. Finally. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 28. We have been in Matthew for about a year and a half. And what we do at our church, we just kind of go verse by verse through uh, books of the Bible. And today we are in the very end of Matthew, chapter 28. It's a very familiar passage to many of you. It's about making disciples and how these 11 disciples are on the ground floor of making disciples of the nations as Jesus sends them out on this worldwide missionary movement. And from this passage, we're going to see, obviously, that he calls us as individuals and as a church to go all out and making disciples. And and it's a little hard to go through this because, you know what, it's not like it's new for many of you. It's like, I've heard it. Okay? So I understand that. And so that's kind of the challenge I have. And I'm not trying to make it fancy or dance for you, okay? You, you know what it says. The issue is, just because you know something doesn't mean you're doing it, all right? So let's be patient, go through it as if for the first time, and ask God to do something in our lives to make it come alive and where we'd actually act upon it. So let's go, starting with verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. Throughout the Bible, you will see that mountains are important places of of revelation. You have Moses on Mount Sinai. You have Jesus doing the Sermon on the Mount and on the Mountain of Transfiguration. So here on this mountain, we have the resurrected Son of God giving his will for worldwide mission. Keep going, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So many of his followers are worshiping him. He's the crucified, resurrected Lord. But it says some doubt it. Now, last week, maybe many of you weren't here last week, but we paused. And we spent the whole Sunday dealing with the issue of doubt. 
You can go online and listen to that if you want. But one of the criticisms that could be leveled against our church, which, which I hope it never is, is that you people are all about mission. You're all about going and doing and proclaiming and caring, and, and, and you're just about mission. You're not about my, my pain, my suffering. And I, and I hope that's not true. I hope that's not true. We, we, we really want to deal with suffering. We really want to deal with your doubts. We really want to care for you as a person. And so we paused last week to deal with our, our, our frozen faith, to deal with our intellectual and philosophical doubts, because we don't want to be paralyzed as disciples by our doubt and our faith struggles where we don't do anything. So I'm not naive to think that one sermon fixed you, okay? I'm not naive to think, okay, now you're good. Now go do your thing. No, we struggle. We have this, this fight of faith. We continue to struggle with our doubts and our, and our faith struggles, and we push through it. But the good news is, is that no matter what you're struggling with, God can still use you to impact others. And I would say, if you're struggling in your faith, and you're struggling with, with something right now, God can use you even in, in a, even a mighty way. Maybe mightier if you weren't struggling. Some of the best disciple makers in this congregation are those who struggle, who are fighting the fight of faith, who have problems. And when they go and they invest in other people, they're saying, I I have issues as well. And so if you find yourself struggling here this morning, you're going to be a great disciple maker. Okay, that's good. That's good because you know what grace is about. You know what mercy is about. You know what truth is about. And so you can invest it in others. So don't let your problems trip you up on making disciples. So here we go. With the commission from Jesus. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who talks like that? No sane person says, I have all the authority in the universe. Like, who talks like that? No, no, you don't talk like that. Jesus can talk like that, though, because he's divine. He's the, the resurrected son of God who conquered sin, Satan, and death. And, and he's saying, the Father has given me this authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. And so Jesus talks like that because he can, but you've got to wonder, what does that mean? I have all authority in the universe. What does that mean? Well, it may be helpful here to reflect back on an Old Testament passage from the book of Daniel. I will put it up here. Allow me to do a little bit of teaching from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Let's concentrate on this. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold... With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. That would be Jesus. And he came to the ancient of days, that would be the Father, and was presented before him. And to him, that is to Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus is the fulfillment of of these verses in this passage. So when we speak about his authority over all, we mean this. He is Lord. He is the king. He is the master over all the nations. And he has an everlasting kingdom where all peoples of all nations and all languages 
will bow to him. So here's what's going on. Our mission derives from the exalted Son of God, exalted among the nations, and he is sending us out to go find worshipers, to go find those who will bow to him, who will submit to his lordship. And so we are scattered out with his authority. So if you're going out there to share the gospel with somebody or to make disciples of someone, and you may think, am am, am I just making this up? Should I really be doing this? It's not going so well. Know this. You have been authorized by the resurrected Lord of all to go and make disciples. You didn't make this stuff up. It's not like your, your leaders in church said, hey, we think it'd be a good idea to go share this with someone else. Not at all. You were authorized by the crucified, resurrected Lord of all, and he sends you out with his authority. And since he does that, he's going to make sure that his mission will work and will be completed, where worshipers will be gathered from around the nations, and they will worship him. So you didn't make it up. So let's go to the specifics of this mission, okay? We got his authority. We have his backing. Verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. All right, so you have the main verb here for those of you who want to do some construction here. You have the main verb, and the main verb is make disciples, That's the focus. That's the focus of the mission. Make disciples. And that is carried out by going, baptizing, and teaching. It's really simple. The focus is making disciples. The process is you go, you baptize, and you teach. You see, what Jesus wants every one of you to do, so if you ever wonder what God's will is for your life, I'm about to tell you. His will for you is to make disciples. That is to make people Follow Jesus just like they did in the New Testament, just like the disciples did. To, to, to his disciples, you know what they were doing? They, they, were, they were trusting Jesus. They were obeying Jesus, and they were worshiping Jesus. And he wants us as his disciples to go out and make disciples who trust Jesus, who worship Jesus, and who obey Jesus. He wants us, it is his will for our lives, to make disciples, for sure, no doubt. That's God's will for you. Well, well how do you do it? It's very simple. Nothing complicated this morning. If you go away this morning scratching your head thinking that this is so complicated, you've missed so much. It's not complicated. First thing, this is what we do. We go. We go. We put one foot in front of the other, and we go up to someone, and we go to them, and then we tell them the gospel. That's what we do. Uh, Let me put this up for you. Romans 10.15. Romans 10.15 says, And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So he's sending us out, and he's going. And I want you to see that going is connected with proclamation. You may think, well, we just go. It doesn't say anything about speaking. Well, in another great commission passage from the book of Luke, let me put this up for you. We get some more details in Luke 24, 46 through 48. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed, you get that, proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. 
So this is the way it works. Those of us who have experienced the gospel, we now go and we proclaim the gospel. We tell people, okay, let me tell you about his death. Let me tell you about his resurrection. And if you repent of your sins, you can be forgiven and be accepted by a holy God forever. So as we go, we are opening our mouth and we are proclaiming. Like, I I know we like to um, go and hang out with people who don't know Jesus. We like to go to the Cubs games with them. We like to go and we go maybe go out to a restaurant with them. We like to do neighborhood activities with them. But eventually, we need to open our mouths. We need to speak and proclaim the gospel to them. That's part of the going. We're not just going out with them. We're speaking truth to them. Now, so far, so good. We're going to pause for a moment, and we're going to spend some time, because I think it's very important, and I don't want us to miss this, and I don't want to make it the main emphasis of my sermon, but we are going to pause for a while and talk about the next part. He says in verse 19, Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Pause. All right. So the disciples are not to diss the Jews. Don't think Jews didn't get it. We're done with them. No, no. They're still to proclaim in Jerusalem. That's where they're going to start. And they were to fan out and spread out these 11 guys and the others. And they were going to proclaim this gospel to the nations. That's God's mission. Revelation 5.9 talks about Jesus dying for the nations. Revelation 5.9 says, and they sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, that's on the cross, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So King Jesus, the one with all authority, died to save people from the nations, and he, now he is seeking worshipers from all over the world, and he is, he's, he's attempting to bring them into himself through sending you out on the Great Commission. Now, for those of you who have studied this in depth, maybe you understand that this is not talking about nation states. When it says go to the nations, it's talking more about people groups with distinct languages and distinct cultures all around the world, like the Cherokee or the Navajo or the Chakmas or Bangladesh, the Fulana people in Central and West Africa or the Magar people in Nepal. All over the world, this gospel is to be proclaimed among these specific people groups, and we are to make disciples. And so right now, there's about 16,000 ethno-linguistic groups, and here's the challenging part. Um, About 6,000 of the 16,000 ethno-linguistic groups in existence today, about 6,000 of them have little or no access to the gospel. I know it's hard to believe with the internet. I know it's hard to believe we've been pumping missions for I don't know how many decades or hundreds of years. Is it hard to believe that there are, there are groups, entire groups of people, about 6,000, who have no access to the gospel? I'm not talking about people who've, who've heard the gospel and rejected Jesus. I'm talking about people who have no access. Like, there's no one there to tell them. Like, for real, that really exists Today, uh, let me give you an example. Um, well, by the way, 6,000? How many people would that be? Well, here's the math. It's about 2 billion. About 2 billion people without access to the gospel on this earth right now. So David Platt tells this example. 
he talks about northern Yemen. I don't know if any of you have ever been to northern Yemen before. But it has a population of about 8 million people, probably a lot of different, uh, different groups within that 8 million. But 8 million in northern Yemen. And so Chicago metropolitan area has about 8 to 9 million. So you've got the grasp. Just think of, okay, Chicago, and think of the suburbs, and just think how big Chicago is. Okay, you got the picture? About 8 million people. So in northern Yemen, 8 million people, the question is how many believers are there? And I don't know how they figure this out, but there are about 20 to 30 believers there. Can you imagine the size of Chicago? About 20 or 30 believers. That's like um, some of your small groups are bigger than that. We're talking about people who don't have access. It's not like the gospel went to them and then they responded. We're talking about people without access. And you, and you may think, well, well, why does that matter? And this is where we need to really pause and slow down. Why does that matter? It matters because of this. It matters because we believe the Bible. And the Bible teaches that we are all sinners and God is holy. And apart from, uh, like, in his presence, we are condemned, destined to his wrath and hell forever. Bad news. But the good news is that Jesus came, and he died on the cross for sinners, and was buried and rose again. And for those who repent and put their faith in him, can be saved from their sins, free from the wrath of God. We're not going to live separated from him. We can be reconciled to him. And so that's the good news. We, we, we know that, okay? And so the, the, the main rub comes is a question that is always asked. What about the innocent guy in northern Yemen who has never heard the gospel? What happens to him? No one came up to him. No one took him to a Cubs game. No one took him out to eat and sat down and shared the gospel with him. What happens to the innocent guy in northern Yemen who has never heard the gospel? What happens to him? Now, David Platt has, has helped me think through this. He's, he's the guy who wrote Radical. It's very helpful. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the question again. What happens to the innocent guy in northern Yemen who has never heard the gospel? Well, well, the answer is really simple. He goes to heaven. But here's the problem. There is no innocent guy in northern Yemen. He does not exist the Bible tells us that every single person knows from the creation that God exists. And we are told from the Bible that all have rejected him from this revelation and all are accountable before him. And I know, I know that may be hard to you. I know that may be new to some of you. I'm going to put up some verses, and then you can think about them more later. Okay, this is from Romans chapter 1, 18 through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory 
of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. From this passage, we see that no one it is innocent before God. All are accountable to him. And I do realize that this is new to some of you. So before I move on, I want to talk about tolerance, all right? Let's talk about tolerance. If you struggle with this, if you struggle to believe this, if, if it's hard for you to understand how people who have never heard the gospel can be accountable for a holy God and be sent to hell for never hearing, if you struggle with Jesus being the only way, if you, if you struggle with what some passages in the Bible may say, this may be new to you, I just want to tell you that we, you're welcome here. We'll, we'll tolerate you. We, we would love to, to just dialogue with you and work through this. So I'll just say, we will tolerate two kinds of people, but the third we will not tolerate. So if, that, if you're struggling, we'll tolerate you. Let me tell you the second kind of person that we'll tolerate. If you're in here and you believe that Jesus is the only way, if you believe that people will be lost forever without putting their faith in Christ, and you want to go and share the gospel and pray for those who don't know Christ and, and send out people to go tell them about Jesus, and you're pumped about that, we'll tolerate you, of course. But there is a third kind of person in here that we will not tolerate. This is where our tolerance ends. If you're in here and you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, if you believe that people must repent and believe in order to be saved, if you believe the gospel must spread for people to become worshipers of Christ, and yet you do nothing about it, we won't tolerate you. And the problem is, is that that's a lot of us, and including me. So I'm not even going to tolerate myself. I'm going to go off on myself. Because we want to have movement toward those who don't know Jesus, whether it's locally or globally. We just don't want to believe good doctrine. We want to believe, hey, people actually need to know Jesus. And part of that is some in our congregation actually pausing and, and considering whether they should go to the less reached or the unreached. In fact, I would make the argument that every single one of you in here at one time of your life should at least ask the question, God, do you want me to go as in relocate to a region of the world where nobody knows about Jesus? They have not heard. Remember, um, for those of you who are really old, back in the 70s, Keith Green said, Jesus commands us to go. It should be the exception if we stay. I like that. So if you stay here, uh, it'd be great if that's something you actually worked out, that God is calling you to stay here. There, there are reasons why you, you shouldn't go. But there are some of you who at least need to ask the question, God, do you want me to go to these people who've never heard? They have no access to the gospel. And there are some of you who will start to get just passionate about going to those who don't know Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul said. He felt so compelled. Romans chapter 15. I don't know if you know about this. Romans 15, chapter, uh, verses 20 and 21. He says, And thus I make it my... You can almost circle that word if you want to look it up in your Bible. I'll make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So it was him, his ambition to preach Christ among those who have never heard. And there are some of you in here, that is your ambition, to preach Christ among the less reached. 
Maybe God's calling you short-term, mid-term, long-term to, to be placed among the unreached. You feel compelled to go where those who have no access to the gospel. And so I'm going to do something just kind of unheard of here. I'm actually going to pause mid-sermon in just a second, and I'm going to ask those of you who this is kind of your, maybe you're wondering if this is what God wants you to do, I'm going to ask you to stand up, not yet, but in a moment, to stand up. So if you're in here today and, and you feel as if, so if you're awake, wake up. If you're asleep, wake up, okay, because you're about to stand in a moment. If you feel it is your ambition or if you are wondering if it is uh, God's ambition for you, that you feel him leading you to go to the less reached or the unreached as a traditional missionary or as a business person, as a doctor, nurse, uh, whatever that may be, as a teacher or or in the law, and you feel like... We've, we've had people in our congregation who are not just the traditional missionaries, but they, they use their jobs and they, and they take these placements in these unreached areas in order to proclaim the gospel. And so if you're wondering, or if you're seeking this, no, I don't care what age you are, and I don't care if you have made plans or not, but if you think this might be you in the future, I want to pray for you. So I'm going to ask you right now, so go ahead and stand up. Come on. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know. I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Lord, your word has so stirred by your spirit and started to lead some of my brothers and sisters to even ask the question if they're supposed to go. And even some of them right now are working that out. And and I just ask those who are in the beginning phases that you would show them, make it clear if you want them to go. Maybe it's for just a a little stint. Maybe it's for a little more midterm. Maybe it's more long-term. Lord, show them wisdom, vision from you. And I know they're going to get a lot of pushback. It's going to be hard from their families. But Lord, if you're you're calling him and moving them to to leave, to go to the less reached, unreached, I just ask that they would act upon it by your grace. And for those in here who are are more like, this is what they're going to do. This is going to happen by your grace. I just ask Lord, that they be steadfast, that through the, 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 the trip-ups and the hardships, that they would go and be able to push through and, and be there. And I just ask that my brothers and sisters will be able to proclaim the gospel. And, and maybe some of them will become martyrs for the gospel. And I just ask, Lord, they would see that they want more and more worshipers to worship you. This is not about them. This is not about their glory. In fact, God, they, they, you don't need them. But you have called them and you've stirred them up for your worldwide mission. And I ask the kind of the work that you're doing now that you would keep doing it in their lives. And keep this flame, this passion hot. And keep us those who stay here to pray for them, to give to them, to encourage them, and to spur them on to keep going. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for those of us who say, okay, well, we, don't, we don't feel like we're supposed to leave. Don't feel like you're like second-class citizens, second-class Christians, second-class missionaries, like, oh, wow, the adventure is for them, but not for you. No, the adventure is for all of us. Let's go ahead and finish up the passage and move on to the part where he talks about baptizing so we go, we preach, and people respond. It says, it says, we baptize them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome, this, this Trinitarian expression? But did you notice that it doesn't say, baptize them in the names. It's not plural, it's singular. And yet it names three persons. <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> so our, our God, we have one God in three persons, and Jesus, he places himself in between the Father and the Holy Spirit to show that he is God, and he's worthy of worship and allegiance. And it's this Trinitarian expression that I use when we baptize people. About eight weeks ago, we baptized, uh, eight weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we baptized eight of you, and I would take them down in the water. I said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and about the time they hit the water, the Holy Spirit, and then bring them up out. And what's happening when they get baptized, they're saying, we are associating ourselves with Jesus. We are associating ourselves with the church. And when you get baptized, you're showing what happened to you spiritually. You're showing, uh, look, I'm going to show you this physical act of going into the water. My old life is it's now gone and buried, and I'm coming up out of the water to show you that I have new life in Christ. I'm going to walk in this new life in Christ. And, and for those of you who are believers, you've not been baptized, you, you've got to get baptized. It's the easiest command to follow in the Bible. Just go underwater. It's not that hard. But, but you're doing it to associate with Christ and with his people. And when we go out, proclaim the gospel, someone gets converted, we want to baptize them into Christ and in the community right then right there. So we go, we baptize, and then verse 20 says we teach. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So Jesus doesn't say, go, disciples, and go out and teach people the commands and leave it at that. He says to teach them to observe and obey the commands. And I want you to understand, this is not about getting more content. It's about giving content that must be obeyed. Because sometimes when we grow up in church and we're in church all the time, sometimes uh, we are educated beyond our obedience. And some of you are classic examples of being educated beyond your obedience. You know the Bible, you know what it says, but you're not doing it. And you think another Bible study is going to help you do it. No, that's just more content. We're not here to educate people beyond their obedience. You need to be obeying what you know, what's right in front of you. Because we don't just throw out content. It is meant to be obeyed. That was Jesus' intent of us making disciples. I want to briefly address uh, the Christian groups on campus, and I don't know the details of the Christian groups. And I I love that uh, people um, from these groups go to our church, some of them. um, I counted yesterday, we have seven campus groups, at least people from the groups, some from the groups that go to church here. And so I know there's a lot of you there. And so I'm so glad that you're here, and I love you, and I just kind of want to speak to you something about this concept of, of obedience. Now, I was reading this last week that, that some Christian groups, and I don't know if there's any at Northwestern, so I, I'm just talking out loud here. You make the application. Don't throw stuff at me. But I was reading this past week that some groups on campus have a vision in practice. doesn't mean this is their stated vision, but this is what their vision could be in practice. Let me put this up for you. Minimal amount of truth to maximum amount of people. Minimal amount of truth to maximum amount of people. And I'm not saying, I don't know if anybody actually has that statement. But this kind of statement, I'm going to interpret this for you. This is code. This is code. This is code for a campus group to say, we are really good at evangelism. But we're not as good at long-term discipleship. 
I just interpreted them as code. Right. And so another campus group comes along, and they're saying, we want to combat that, and so we're going to create another slogan and another vision statement. In fact, I think a, a group somewhere, I don't think here, but some campus has this as their vision statement. Ready? Maximum amount of truth to the maximum amount of people. Maximum amount of truth to the maximum amount of people. Now, I like that slogan. That's a good slogan. But once again, it's code. Can I interpret it for you? Here's the code. We're really good at long-term discipleship, but we're not so good at evangelism. And so as you function and, and you go from campus group to campus group or you go from church to church, you'll say, oh, they're really good at evangelism or they're really good at long-term discipleship. And we would all agree as believers in the word, it, it doesn't have to be that way, right? It doesn't say, well, I want to be all about long-term discipleship. I want to all be all about evangelism. I want to be about sharing my family. It doesn't have to be like that, right? And we don't want it to be like that. And so what we want to do to do is fight as pastors and as leaders of churches and campus groups. We want to take the two things that don't have to be in contradiction with one another. We want to bring them together and we want to say we want to be passionate about evangelism and sharing the gospel. Passionate and also passionate about building into people and long-term discipleship. And where we find these things off balance, we need to, we need to fight to find balance and bring them together. So don't think that we're competing against one another. That's not Jesus' intent. He's very clear about the going and proclaiming and to teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. All right? So we're all on the same page. So where we're off, where I notice that our church is off, I need to address it. And so if you're in a power to address it, address it. We, we want both. We want both. And then Jesus finishes up. Verse 20. And he says, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Someone once argued to me that this, this great commission was only for the disciples, not for us. So that's terrible. Don't believe that, please. And you, and you go, is that, is that true? Well, he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Like, this is the mission that is going to go on to the end of the age, and I want all of my disciples throughout the ages to participate in this mission, and I'm going to be with them until the end of the age. And he's not just with us in the sense that he brings us comfort and peace because he does do that, but he's saying, I'm going to be with you to make sure that this mission will happen. I'm going to be with you to make sure people repent and come to faith in Christ and are baptized and are discipled. I'm going to make sure this mission happens because I want more and more worshipers to worship me from every tongue, tribe, and nation. So I will make sure that the mission will be accomplished. And so we have his presence, and we know from Revelation this is going to work. We know that people are going to convert and worship Jesus from all over the earth, and it's happening right now. And we want to make sure that we don't bail on this mission because it's going to get hard. I know some of you right now, you've been sharing your faith, and it's not going so well. You've been trying to build into someone, and it's not working, and you're wanting to bail. And I want to encourage you, do not bail. This mission will be accomplished. I read a... Um, a striking Twitter message this week that I want to share with you. Let me put this up for you. It said, if anyone is having a bad day, remember that today in 1976, Ronald Wayne sold his 10% stake in Apple for $800. Now it's worth $58 billion. 
I don't know what he was thinking. He was on the ground floor, and maybe he thought, this is not going to work. Uh, we have the 11 disciples with Jesus, and he says, go to the nations. <laughs> Who, us? Go to the nations? What are you talking? And, and look what happened. Look what happened. You think they knew about Evanston at the time? No, they didn't. Did they know that we would be worshiping here? No, they didn't. And so look what has happened. It spread around the world. And yet there's still places and people, groups that it needs to continue to go to. There's people that don't know Jesus here in Evanston and Chicago, and it's still spreading. Let's not bail because we know the end. We know the end when all the nations are going to be worshipped. We know where we're going. So we're kind of on the ground floor a little bit still. Let's not, let's not quit. And so I'm going to leave us with two, two things that we are to do. I, I know I, I rarely tell you to do anything, right? I just give you the word and you just kind of figure it out, right? Well, today I'm going to give you one thing to do as, a, as an individual and one thing we're going to do as a church. And it is not complicated. If you go out here today wondering what you're supposed to do, you did not listen. Really simple. One thing is an individual, one thing is a church. Here's the thing as an individual. I'll put it up. Every disciple, make a disciple. Really hard, right? That means every single one of you, pick one individual that you can invest your life in that you can go and just pour Jesus into them and make a disciple. If, if they currently don't know Christ, you share Christ with them. If they currently are a believer but no one's investing in them, then start teaching them the commands of Jesus. The, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, would be a great place to start. Just pick one person. I'm not asking you to pastor a church. I'm not asking you to lead an ethos community. And I know that you have an excitement for a global vision and huge grand things. I'm just talking about one person. Who is the one person that you are actually making a disciple of right now? Just one. If I walked up to you after church and said, tell me one person that you're investing in right now, you might say, no one. And I say, okay, well, tell me the one person you're going to invest in from now on. We want to be participating in the Great Commission, and we think it's so grand, and it is, but you realize it's also simple. One person. Every single believer in here, every single disciple should be making at least one disciple. Who's it going to be? So that's the message to individuals. Now to the church. Every church, plan a church. When people get, get saved and become disciples, they need to be incorporated into the church. And one of the most effective ways to make disciples, especially among those who don't know Jesus, is church planning. We see it in the New Testament. And, and this church, that's what we do. We send out missionaries all over the world, and the, the primary focus we send them out for is to plant churches. And Right now, we have a church planning team in Belgrade, Serbia. We have a team, an individual in Czech Republic. We have two teams in Central Asia. can't even tell you the locations right now. We have some in Ecuador and also in Mexico because we want more and more worshipers to worship Jesus. But not just international church planning. Our church has been really good at international church planning for the history of its time here. But something that we're really trying to get better at is national church planning, pl planning churches in America. And so by God's grace, in 2010, we planted our first church, Trinity City Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. 
And by God's grace, two months ago, we, we launched our second church plant in Rogers Park called uh, Agape Chicago. And as the elders have been praying and seeking God and say, okay, where's the next plant going to be? We believe that something is coming up next. We believe that God is identifying another uh, planter within our congregation. We also believe that it's possible that we have the location as well. And so we're kind of in the process of praying for it and planning and say, okay, God, is this what you're doing? And so next week here on this stage, we want to introduce you uh, to, we, we, we hope, who's going to be our next planter in the next location. And, and I want you to come back for that and, and be, be open to God to maybe going because when we planted in St. Paul, Minnesota, we sent people there from this congregation. When we planted Agape Chicago in Rogers Park, we sent lots more there. And so here comes another plant. It's coming up soon. And we're hoping some of you will leave and go and join this plant. My brothers and sisters, all of you have different giftings and different callings. It's unique in life, and you want to see your passion and your gifting spread, maybe globally, but we must unite on the overarching, overriding passion and mission that Jesus Christ has given us to go and make disciples of the nations. And may we do it for his glory until he comes back. Let's pray. Lord, I do ask that you would just give us an individual that we can invest in if we don't have one. And if we have been investing in someone, may we step it up in order to meet with them more, pray with them more, give them more truth from your word. But I just ask that we would not play games and, and not participate in the greatest mission ever in investing in other people. And so I just pray my brothers and sisters in here, every disciple would make a disciple and that you give us grace as we plant more and more churches and give us grace as we go to the nations. And may we continue to unify around this great ambition and passion for all of us to see more and more worship come to you. And may that fuel our mission. May that be fuel our discipleship. In Jesus' name, amen.